Welcome to episode 208 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I'm already getting evil, dirty looks from uh, somebody in the room. I don't want to say who it is because she's looking at me. Uh, I am your host, Patsy the Angry Nerd. You can call me Patrick Rahal, or you can call me Patsy. You can call me whatever you want. Uh, I've, an- I've answered to worse. See? See? But uh, we are, of course, here in the Pat Cave, the rearranged Pat Cave. Uh, deep within Magenta Manor, and uh, I, of course, uh, am brought to you, as all always, we are always brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee, because we are part of the Dorkening Network. It's not that. That's not That's not what it is. Yeah, it's just touching things. So, uh, yeah, as, as I just mentioned, I am joined by my co-host on the show, my co-host in life, because she swore an oath before the old gods and the new. Hmm, choices. Yeah. Choices were made. Yeah. Uh, she is the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot. <laughs> She's just giving me a look. She is the real housewife of Transylvania. She is the Michael Phelps of wine. She is the queen of the monsters, and she is an honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mrs. Patsy the Angry Nerd. Ashes of Nightmare. Apparently today, I'm Stinkor. So, Fuck you, Patsy. If anybody out in the I'm real not world stinkor. Uh, remembers not smell bad. I the just masters showered. of the universe figure Stinkor, there are specific perfumes and scents that I have noticed women wear throughout my life that reminds me of how Stinkor smelled. And apparently her deodorant is made from, like, leaves and twigs and stuff like that. I don't know what it's made of, but it's, like, some new thing that she's tried out. And I was like, you know, that kind of reminds me of Stinkor. And then she blew it totally out of proportion just because I said her deodorant smells like Stinkor. And so I sent her a picture. Of Stinkor fighting He-Man, and it said, the stench of evil. (laughs) I am not a fan. She likes it. No, I didn't say that I like it. Oh, she doesn't even like it, because it stinks. I just said, it doesn't (laughs) stink. It doesn't smell bad. It's just not, it's not what I usually wear. It isn't, no. And, you know, sometimes you just have to make do with what you can find. I asked her. Are you sure it's not it's like Monsters lavender. Inc. and it's odorant? It is lavender. You got a wet dog and lavender. Smell like garbage. It smells like a fucking lavender field. Aren't you the one who hates lavender? No. No, lilac. Lilacs. Lilac. That's and the only reason I don't like lilac is because I'm allergic to it. They're not delicious. I'll tell you that much. You're not supposed to eat it. I know. Well, I mean, technically you could. Technically, you could eat anything. I mean, you could eat as much lava as you want. Once. Once. <laughs> but uh, that's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about... Oh, we aren't? ...the random smells emanating from our apartment. Although I will say she made chili earlier, like all vegan chili, and... <laughs> it's killing me. Yeah, so well, uh... This is going to be a five-minute episode so I can go eat chili. Who says you're getting any? <laughs> I'll just... Outlast you. No, wait no, no. till you you're can't, asleep. You can't call me Stinkor and then expect me I to I didn't feed say you. you were Stinkor. I said 
hey, that scent reminds me of Stinkor. So in a roundabout way, no. you called me Stinkor. No, because you are not a skunk. You are not an anthropomorphic uh, human-like skunk who fights on the far-off world of Eternia against the forces of the masters of the universe. I know the difference. And that is not who you are. I'm about to be the master of your universe in two seconds. But you already are. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) This week, we are discussing the criminally underappreciated character of Ted the Bellhop, played by Tim Roth in the 1995 film Four Rooms. And if you have never heard of Four Rooms, don't feel bad. You are not alone. There were so many people who are so unfamiliar with this film. It's one of those, like, the best film you haven't seen or, like, the best film you don't know exists type categories. Yeah, like, if you were to ask somebody, like, what's your favorite Tarantino film? Like, very rarely, like, you could ask them to name five or six and they won't name Four Rooms because they've never heard of it. Like, I don't remember if it had a theatrical release. Mm. And if it did, it, it did, didn't but it was very well. limited. Okay, so that very limited. it was probably limited for Oscar consideration because Tarantino was, you know, fairly fresh off of Pulp Fiction. Um, I mean, this is this is so long ago. Bruce Willis is in this, and he has hair. Like when somebody says to me, like, "Oh, Four Rooms." Oh, I didn't know. I've never heard of that. Like, who directed it? It was like, well, there's four directors. All right, well, well, who's in it? Um. Tim Roth, Kathy Griffin, Marissa Tomei, Bruce Willis, Paul Calderon, Jennifer Beals, um, Quentin Tarantino, Madonna, Worcester's own Alicia Witt, Iona Skye, Lily Taylor. Like, there's a huge, like, did I say Antonio Banderas? Tamlin Tamita, who was uh, the Karate Kid's girlfriend in Karate Kid 2. Like, there's a ton of star power in this movie, and no one's seen it. For me, I was thinking about this the other day when we were re-watching it. Um, I thought about how this is my favorite anthology film. So the quick premise is there's this guy, Ted, who is played by Tim Roth, like I said, and he is a bellhop at this once super fancy hotel where all the movie stars and presidents and royalty used to stay. But, you know... The 80s were tough, and, you know, it was kind of down on its luck, but it's maybe back up on a uh, on an upswing. And Ted is there by himself on New Year's Eve, and he has to attend to every room. Not every room is occupied, but he is the sole staff member on duty. So the film had a budget of $4 million. It grossed... Four million two hundred and fifty-seven thousand three hundred and fifty-four, and was only shown in three hundred and nineteen theaters. That'll explain it. Yeah, I mean, it made its money back, but I don't. I really don't think anybody was making well, this. Madonna won a Razzie for best support. Well, worst because that's what the Razzies are. I don't think she was worst bad support. in this. Well, I don't think so. Either. I don't know who who she was up against, but yeah. The Maybe they're just judging it based on box office returns, but this is not a bad movie. Nobody does a poor job in this no, film. No, even the kids were good. So That's my favorite room. Yes, room three, the misbehaviors. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. But it got us thinking for our getting into character question, 
what is or what are the worst jobs you have ever had? Now, this is basically Ted's first night by himself. You know, he's fairly comfortable with the place. You know, he knows where everything is. He knows how to operate the switchboard when someone calls for room service and whatnot. But he's never done this by himself before. So he ends up with a really weird night. And again, we'll, we'll get into that after. And there are several things that did not go well for poor Theodore. So... Again, we were deciding, like, let's talk about some of the worst jobs we ever had. So, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? You can go. So, one of the uh, worst jobs I ever had, not because I didn't like it, you know, not because it didn't pay well, but just it was very depressing. When I was 16 years old, I worked for uh, a convalescent center in Millbury, where I where I lived at the time. And we had some interesting days. And at the time I was like, whatever, you know, like I'll I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll I'll was I sixteen? No, I was older than that. I was I think I was eighteen. Yeah, I was eighteen. And I uh basically was a housekeeper. So, you know, I would take out the trash. I would, you know, bring laundry down to places. You know, I'd clean up, help serve meals. And it was very depressed because, depressing because a lot of the folks that lived there uh, were in various states of um, mental decline. Uh, there was one young lady who were, well, I say young lady, but she was, she was delightful. But she was in her 90s, and uh, she stuttered a lot uh, because she had had taken a fall. And in her back in her day, <clears throat> she was a vaudeville performer, and sometimes she thought she was still on stage, and we would find her in the hallway. And we tried to keep her from you know going around because we didn't want her hurting herself. She had a tremendous upper body strength. She was able to pull her wheelchair in a locked position up and down the hallway, go wherever she wanted. And, like, you'd walk by and she'd grab you and want to talk to you for 10 minutes. And, you know, obviously just I didn't have the opportunity to. And sometimes, I remember the first time it happened, somebody was like, hey, can you go check on this young lady? And so I went and everyone started laughing because she had taken her blanket from her bed and wrapped it around her uh, her head like a turban, and she was completely topless because that is what she used to do on uh, <laughs> on uh, in, in when her performing days. There was another young woman who would uh, follow another resident around because she was convinced that the second woman had taken her daughter, and she would ask me every day, have you seen my daughter? Have you seen my daughter? She looks like this. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I haven't seen her. And, like, I was thrown off. I had no idea what to expect. I had no idea how to deal with some of these people. And, you know, they would, they would ex- you know, the other staff would talk to me and say, okay, this is what we're doing. This is how you handle this. This is how you react. We had one resident who was very, very uh, uh, belligerent, and she ended up clocking somebody in the head with her big travel mug. 
um, <clears throat> it was it was unfortunate. It was not it was not the best of situations uh, for me to be in, you know. And and there were times we had a, a gentleman who would sometimes disappear, like we had no idea where he was. We found him one day uh, about half a mile down the road because someone who used to work at the convalescent center worked there, uh, was at a party, and he showed up and, like, they're like, hey, this guy's down here. And so we went down there to see him, you know, and bring him back. And he's just chilling there. He's got a beer in one hand. He's got a burger in the other. He's just hanging out. Like, nobody thought anything of it. He was just hanging out because he heard music, and he used to be a musician, and he just took a walk and went down there. Probably, to me, the most eye-opening thing, because I'm, I'm not a smoker. I never have been. But seeing some of these people, it's like, you know, there were certain times where it's like, okay, we're going to have our cigarettes, and it's this is the time when we're having our cigarette. And if you were seconds late, they would freak out. The one belligerent woman who ended up clocking somebody with her big travel mug one day was like, I'm like, I'm going to be a couple minutes late. You know, I have to clean up, you know. Somebody had an accident in the the dining room. I have to clean that up. I'll be right over. Just give me a few minutes. And she lost her fucking mind because she was going to have to wait five minutes to get her cigarette. She was like, well, I'm just going to go up into my room and turn the fan off and close the windows and I'll fucking die. And I had no idea how to respond to that. No clue. Now that I'm thinking, I was was, uh, 16, 17 at this time. I had no idea how to respond to that. Like, I'm like, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, like, I didn't know what to do. So I'm just like, fine, I'll, I'll give you a cigarette now, and I'll clean up the, you know, the accident that somebody had in the dining room in, you know, when you guys are done. And someone's like, why didn't you clean this up? I'm like, this is what happened. They're like, next time that happens, just be like, yeah, okay, and you know, let her go. I'm like, seriously. We had this other young lady who would scream and cry constantly because she was in massive amounts of pain. Like, it was just constant. All she did was cry. That's all she did. And it was so depressing. It was just like, ah. Uh, I, did, I didn't know how to handle it at 16, 17 years old. So that might have been my worst job. Uh, Ashes, how about you? So it's a toss-up between a handful. I've been working for a, a, a long time. Like, uh, there's a, there's about a seven-year age difference between myself and my sister. So my sister's friend's parents were like, hey, Shelby has an older sister. She's like a built-in babysitter. I mean, granted, I did get paid really well by some of these parents, but... It was super cute for all of them to just assume that I would love to watch their spoiled little brats. When I was about 16, 15, 16, I worked, and I did this for a couple of summers, worked at a Christian summer camp. And that was interesting. Uh, like we were forced to go to chapel and we were forced to do Bible studies and all that crap. And I remember this one time I was at Bible study. So we had like a girl's dorm and a boy's dorm for all of like the support staff. So I wasn't a counselor. I was, I was the support staff. And, uh, 
we had to do Bible study. So I was there and, you know, putting in my two cents. And because I believed in science and was trying to equate things like, well, you know, there's, you know, a different way of looking at things, blah, blah, blah. One of the broads there threw a Bible at me and told me I was going to hell. I mean, she's because I, you know, was talking science. Like, how dare I? Oh, how dare you? If men evolved for monkeys, why are there still monkeys? Huh? <laughs> Pretty much. I love that. I love that argument. Uh, another really shitty job I had. Oh, the next two were college jobs. So for one summer, I worked at a gas station. And it was a pretty popular gas station in town. You weren't supposed to work alone, but in order to save money and pocket money for herself, the manager of the place used to schedule people by themselves. So I would be working the overnight shift by myself. And that can be pretty, it can be pretty interesting because you get a lot of interesting people coming in. The overnight shift. But it can also be pretty scary working there by yourself mm-hmm. overnight when you're not supposed to. Or working first thing in the morning, especially on Sundays when you would have all the churchgoers coming in to like get their, their newspapers before church. Or, you know, the worst were the creepy, dirty old men from town <laughs> who would come in Sunday mornings to get their Sunday morning paper and feel that it was super appropriate to tell dirty jokes to the cashiers working. Yeah, that's kind of weird. And like, you know, <clears throat> we had to be had to be nice. I didn't. Even when I was Well, I mean, plus, you know, take into consideration situation. that, you know, I was working by myself. So I'm not going to Yeah. You know, and I was Oh, I was 20 at the time, like 19, 20 years old. My worst job, though, was working at a Payless shoe source my senior year of college at a mall in fucking uh, Lemonster, Fitchburg, Massachusetts. So not the greatest area to begin with. And having to measure kids' feet. Like, I... Feet. (laughs) Yeah. Kids' feats. Um, you did it again. I know. I did it on purpose that time. Shut up. I'm tired. Little footsies. Little feetsies. I. It was awful. I got so sick working that job because parents would bring in their grubby, gross, disease-ridden children and be like, Oh, will you measure little Sally's feetsies? Will you measure Mortimer's feet? I'm going to stand here and take pictures. He's not my child, but I found him <laughs> roaming the mall. That's so creepy. <laughs> Would you like a steak kebab? I brought but you yeah, a pretzel it was I found. awful. Like measuring all of these stinky, gross little kid feet. You were probably like, oh my God, you guys are like stinkor. <laughs> No idea who that was at the time. I had no idea who that was until about ten minutes ago. Um, but no, I I got I developed something called hand, foot, and mouth disease. Hoof and mouth disease. <laughs> yes. We generally only see this in goats. <laughs> no, but you generally only see it in children. 
and it affects their hand. You get sores on the hands, sores on the feet, and sores on the throat. Now, I didn't have the hand or the feet. I just had the the throat sores. But, like, I thought I had strep. And come to find out, like, I, I more than likely picked it up at fucking Payless. That's gross. Like, I tried to keep everything as clean as I possibly could, but especially working in a mall, you get so much foot traffic. Hence the foot and mouth disease. (laughs) Hence the hand, foot, and mouth disease. Yeah, it was was gross. Like, some of the... Having to clean up the... You know, like the little... They're called peds, like the little nylon things that you put on your feet. Because you don't have socks because you're fucking gross. You know, you're supposed to put on your feet before you try on the shoes. Like, people would just leave them all over the floor. And some of them got really... Like, how they got so gross after, you know... You're supposed to wear one... I've Try had on this a shoe one since I was a child. Or a couple of shoes, you know, and then throw it away. Like they they would get so gross. It was so gross. It was so gross. And like, I mean, working with people is just the worst anyways, because people people are the worst. Mm-hmm. People are the worst. Which is why I feel like everybody should have to have some sort of either food service or customer service job to make them, you know, a- a- aware and to not treat people like shit. Well, exactly. Like exactly. So you know what it's like to be on the other side. Yeah, right. I agree. I, Everybody I have should. never treated somebody in customer service that way. Now I'm with you. I've been working a long time. I got my first job in 1995. <laughs> so it's been a long time. I wasn't even old enough to work in you were 1995. Ten. You were ten. No, you were nine when I got my first job. Um. I mean, that wasn't bad. I was on top of the world, you know, but I finally learned why, you know, because I was taking home $180. Well, I was making $180 a week. And, you know, I finally learned why my mom was always so tired. I'm like, all you did was go to work. That's not that bad. But, like, I would come home and be like, oh, my God, today sucked. But, um, you know, I, I've had several jobs where I've worked with the public, and there were several times where... You know, I've had my safety threatened. Like, one of my first days when I worked at Sprint, uh, I had a kid come in who ended up, like, charging out of the uh, the store because two police showed up to arrest him because he had just robbed CVS with a machete. Like, you remember I told you about that? Yes, that yes was, you did. I had somebody else threaten to drive their Jeep through the car, uh, through the, the, the glass windows. Uh, I had uh, someone threaten to murder everyone. Uh, and this is all over cell phones. It also introduced me to exactly how fucking stupid people are. If it was a nice day out, we would open up the door and let the air come in because it was the closest we got to going outside. And for some reason, when the door was open, people couldn't tell the difference between an open door and a window. And there would be at least six to ten people per day who would walk straight into the fucking window, coming in or leaving. It's like, I don't know how doors work if they're open. It's unbelievable not only that people just assume that those working in like a customer service based job or food service or what have you somebody who is like a 
I'm, I'm, I'm trying to... The minimum wage worker, for right, lack of a better term. Like public servant, kind of. Yeah. You know, that there's a certain level of IQ that's lacking. People just assume that if you are doing that job, it's because it's the only job you can do, and therefore they can belittle you and talk down to you. And you know you're just you're just fucking stupid. If everybody in the world was a genius, someone would still have to pump the gas. Right. Well, exactly. And I feel like we appreciate that more now with the whole pandemic, realizing that you know a lot of people who thought that they were important were furloughed. Yeah. Unemployed. Had to stay home. Couldn't even work from home. Had to stay home. Yeah. Or lost their job. You know, bag boys and cashiers and people who pump the gas you know all of the fast food workers you know the ladies at dunkin donuts yeah you know like those are the people who were you know aside from the frontline workers you know nurses and doctors and surgeons and all of your you know emts and medical personnel you know those people are are you know it was brought to the forefront how important these people are. Right. And, you know, the folks that are like, well, I sell BMWs for a living. Oh, I only deal you know, with rich people. I have yeah, a, and now you're sitting at home. I have a friend who, in order to provide for his family, would work a full day at the lab, you know, as a, as a biochemist, mad scientist, and then go work part-time at Walmart I worked at Target. Uh, well, I, I know, but what I'm saying is, you know, he would do this really important <coughs> job and then, you know, go go to Walmart. And he was tell me stories all the time about how, you know, he people would belittle him because he was working the sporting goods at Walmart. And it's like, dude, I just spent nine hours at this job. You know, it's when I was going to college and working at Payless. God forbid I was having a bad, you know, especially... People don't realize the hours that you have to work sometimes in customer service. You know, 12, 13-hour days, especially when somebody else doesn't show up for their shift. So you're like, hey, I'll cover it because I could really use the cash because I'm a starving college student trying to pay my way through school. It's Mm -hmm. my senior year. You know, my dad just died. I'm trying to, you know, make ends meet and make this work. And you're just having a really rough day, off day, and you're not, you know, tip top shape mentally and, and you, you know you miscalculate like you know i i remember this one day i did something incorrect i added a few extra seconds you know to this person's day i couldn't do it like math isn't my strong point to begin with but like i couldn't do math off the top of my head at that moment because my brain was just mush you know, when you get to that point where it's just like, I don't even know how to spell my own name. I don't even know my own name right now. Like, thank God I have a name tag on. I think so it's I can Irving. Look down and be like, what's Heglishia? Oh, wait, it's upside down, you know? Like, it's, uh... And I had this woman just, just completely berate me, tell me how fucking stupid I am. And I just let her, you know, I was just like, maybe she's having a worse day than I am right now. See, when and it's I, gonna make her feel better to take it out on, take it out on me. Like I don't, I don't know, I don't know. But I just, I believe wholeheartedly that people should have to work some sort, especially while you're young, work some sort of job where you have to deal with the public because it gives you so much more of an appreciation for it, It'll especially at that person. point, right? And then later on in life, I have never treated anybody that way. I remember there was a day that I was at Target, and again, people have this entitlement, 
and this guy, I w- he asked me for something, and I was showing him where it was, and he's like, I'm like, well, that's not the thing that you need. I'm like, I'm like, but if you come over here, I'll show you. And the thing that he had in his hand, he just took and threw on the floor. Like, I had my hand out. I was like, yeah, I'll take that. I'll put it back where it goes. And he just threw it on the floor. And I'm like, I'm like, that was unnecessary. Like, I had my hand out, just give it to me, I'll put it back where it goes, instead of throwing it on the floor. You know, and he kind of, like, you know, gave me this weird, like, oh, I, I don't you know, How whatever. How dare you speak to me that way? No, he was just, he was kind of astounded that I spoke to him. And... You know words? And he, uh, he was like, well, where are batteries? And instead of just saying, yeah, they're down there, take a right, I went and I showed him where what he was looking for. I'm like, here's what we have. This is for this. This is for that. Depending on what you're looking for, there's different things. Here you go. And I walked away, and his wife or daughter or whoever the fuck it was comes over to me, and she's like, you know, I don't really appreciate the way he, the way you talk to him. That was uncalled for. I'm like, I'm like, what he did was blatantly disrespectful. Like, he just took the thing and threw it on the floor Instead of handing it to me to put back. Like I was standing right next to him. We walked over there and I was trying to show him where something else was. I wasn't rude. I wasn't condescending. I was doing my job. And he ended up coming over and he's like, well, you know, I want to talk to your manager and I'm going to file a complaint. And I said, absolutely. Here's my name tag. This is my name. This is what's going on. And he's like, well... You know, you know the customer is always right. And I said, that is a fallacy. That is not true. Customer is not always right. In a lot of cases, the customer is incorrect. The customer just feels entitled. He's like, well, I can do whatever I want because I'm the customer and you have to respect me. And I said, incorrect. I said, because I guarantee you that if you, if I was not wearing this red shirt, and standing behind this counter, there no way in a million fucking years would you talk to me like that. I mean, I'm not a big intimidating guy, but I was certainly a lot bigger than this dude. My favorite part about working at Payless was there always had to be a manager-esque person on the floor. So obviously if the manager was there or the assistant manager was there, they would assume that role. But if they weren't there and they had their, their specific shifts that they like to work and, um, you know, I, I didn't always work with them, the next in line, the key holders would, would assume that role. And I had worked my way up to key holder very quick, within like a month. You know, I just, it, it is what it is. Uh, so I would assume the manager position a lot. So I loved it when people would be like, I want to speak to your manager. Bitch, I am the manager right now. They tried doing that at, at Sprint, you know, when we had a new new guy come in. I think it was partly because he was fucking lazy and didn't want to actually pay anybody. But it's like, oh, I'm a customer relations manager. So if they want to talk to the manager, you're the manager. And it's like, right. But when they want to talk to the person who runs the store or needs, like, special override codes, that's still you. Like... Yeah, the right. the well, it was called so at the time. I remember what it was called the C 
smiles captain role. Oh, fuck that. Right? So we didn't have actual name tags. Like we did for sometimes, but not all the time. We had little things, little tags that had the little Payless logo on it. And it was called the Smiles Captain. And it's like, you're the Smiles Captain. And what was funny is, so the manager of the store, he was fucking great. His name was Larry. He was gay as fuck. And he was adorable. And I loved him. And he just, he cared, but he didn't. You know, and and uh, we got along swimmingly. And... Uh, yeah, so there were times when he's just like, he's like, fuck the smiles, Captain. He's like, you're the smiles, Captain. He's like, if you need anything, let me know. So I spent a lot of time being the fucking smiles, Captain. And so we used to try, when, when, when people would be like, oh, you know, waiting on you. Oh, what's your name? They're like, oh, it's smiles. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. We would convince people that her name was smiles, Captain. And people would fucking believe it. Yeah, people are... are Dumb. Because like you know, we didn't have anything. You're working in a freaking Payless in a mall. Like, come on. You have nothing else better to do. This will be the last thing I talk about before we, we take a break Smiles, and go Captain. to our thing. But this also, it has to do with popular trends and, again, how fucking stupid people are. I was working at Sprint, and Sprint just got the iPhone. And the, the version that they got was the 4S. And there was a poster in the back of the store, like behind a couple of the uh, registers, and it was the biggest, it, like you could read it from across the street, and it said in huge letters, the iPhone 4S, the best iPhone yet. There was a lot of stupidity that revolved around the iPhone, and it was shocking. People would see this sign, more than one, it wasn't just one time that this happened, they would see the sign and say, oh, is that as good as the iPhone? I'm like, what does it say? Well, it says iPhone 4S, the best iPhone yet. So is it as good as the iPhone? I'm like, it literally says the best iPhone yet. So it is the iPhone. And it came in two colors. No. At the time, it came in two colors. And no phones didn't come in colors at, the, at this point. The phones were black. Unless you had a BlackBerry, which was... Uh, orange or you know a couple of different colors but when the iPhone first came out there was black and white that was what you had to choose from there was no rose gold there was no blue there was no, it was black or white and at the time it was the only white phone in the fucking store people would come in iPhone do you have it I want it I need it I have to have it can't live without it need it I love it I've done all my research I have to get it I, but I just want to play with it and look at it and hold it in my hands first. And we had working working uh, phones all over the store. So people could, you know, go on the internet or they could, you know, do what they needed to do in order to, you know, really get a feel for the device. So I said, there were on the left side of the store and on the right side of the store, we had phones. On the left side were the smartphones. On the right side were the basic phones. You know, you could text or just make calls. And at that time, there was the Nextel, the push-to-talk, uh, like walkie-talkie feature phones. And those were on the right. On the left for the smartphones. And right in the middle was the iPhone. And we had a black one and a white one. And above the black and white iPhone was a massive fucking poster with pictures of the iPhone. That said, 
iPhone right on it. Excuse me, can you show me where the iPhone is? People would come in. Where are the iPhones? Again, I want it, I need it, I have to have it, I can't live without it. Where is it? And I, I would say, over and over again, this happened probably 200 fucking times. I want times. it, I need it, I can't live without it, but yet I have no idea what the fuck it looks like. I said, it's right there, it's the only white phone in the store. And they would walk all the way down looking at every phone. They would walk back looking at every phone. They'd walk across the store to the other side, go walk up and down, and then they'd come back. I can't find it. I said, it's the only white phone. Even if you were colorblind, you know the difference between black and white. And they would walk over. Like, I I don't know where it is. Like, there's a huge poster that says iPhone on it. And they still couldn't find it. So I'd have to stop what I was doing, stop helping the customer that I was helping, probably someone who just asked the same fucking question 10 minutes earlier, and walk over there and say, here you go, here it is, the only white phone in the store. Oh, the only white phone. I'm like, did you see another one? Because I know you didn't, because there aren't any. So that... You know, that coupled with the fact that people had to walk face first into windows over and over again. Ugh. Yeah, so, so those we are... We want to hear from you. Yeah, what are some of your worst jobs? Like, the absolute worst job you've you've had. I had to clean septic tanks with a straw. That would be gross. I did clean houses briefly for, like, a summer. I mean, I worked at UPS and got, you know, multiple injuries, multiple broken bones and concussions. Um, I, I did a lot of different jobs. I mean, I had some fun jobs too. I was a nanny for a summer. That was pretty fun. Oh, I mean, I lost my job at Sprint and I ended up working at Bose. And because of that, I now have the job that I have. So like several years I mean, later, but well, like it's all inter, it's been shared. It's yeah. meant to be. I should probably stop eating on air. She's eating my gummy sharks. So they're raspberry. Raspberries. They're they're blue. They're blue so, raspberries. Yeah, they're blue. Blue raspberries. They don't taste like sharks. All right, so hey, we'll be Jay. right back. We'll uh, play some ads and do and some, some stuff, and uh, we'll be right back, and we'll be talking about Ted the Bell Boy. The Bell Hop. Not according to Quentin Tarantino, because when he thinks the Bell Boy, he thinks the Bell Boy. He also starring Jerry Tristel. Lewis. That's true. We'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, (coughs) it's scary. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast, it's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd whose name Patsy. 
From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill, and you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. This year, Miramax Films takes great pride in extending to you an advance invitation to celebrate New Year's Eve at the Monsignor Hotel. Where a dozen of the most unusual guests ever will check in. We have reservation. And a lone bellhop named Dead on his first day on the job. All you have to do is hold the fort. And the night's cake. Okay. Is in for the night of his life. Kato, what's the problem? I haven't got a problem. I've got problems. Plural. My children are staying here tonight watching TV. Get a bottle of dinner. If something happens to my children, they wouldn't want to be you. The five of us are a coven. Like a coven of witches. An oven full of witches. A coven of witches! Tell me that's not a face you can trust. I can't handle this hotel by myself! Are you saying my wife cheats on me? I've got to get out of here. We want you to... I am not gonna cut off Norman's little... Hell of a night, huh, Ted? in a situation here which I can possibly begin to explain. Tim Ross, Antonio Banderas, Jennifer Beals, Valeria Golino, Madonna, Ioni Sky, Lily Taylor, Marissa Tomei, and Tamlin Tomita in a new film from directors Alison Anders, Alexander Rockwell, Robert Rodriguez, and Quentin Tarantino. Four Rooms. And we are back. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. That was the trailer for Four Rooms. And what's crazy is the names that they list as, you know, like, here are the actors, you know, Tamlin Tamita and um, what's her name from Rain Man and Hot Shots. But they don't mention, like, uh, Bruce Willis. Well, that's because they couldn't mention Bruce Willis because so apparently SAG has this thing where you have to get paid and Bruce Willis didn't get paid for his role in Four Rooms. He was just doing it as a favor to Tarantino because they were friends and he was just like, hey, you're doing this. I want to be in your movie. He just kind of like showed up. So um, SAG was pissed. Because he didn't get paid, and it, it's so. I mean, they show him in the trailer. I mean, it's it's so. So you know it's him. Four million dollars their budget, but if you think about it, that's a million dollars per segment, a million dollars per 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 film segment. They had some big name actors for the time, big name actors for now. I mean, Antonio Bend, like, and and some of these actors were in bit parts, like Selma Hayek, like Madonna. 
Selma Hayek, Madonna had a fairly featured role. I mean, she she was the only main fabulous. The only main person was, you know, Tim Roth, because everybody else was relegated to their specific room. Right, and then you had the in between stuff that you know, like like the the scene with Kathy Griffin and Marissa Tomei. Yeah, yeah, like even that was just like. A throwaway thing. Like, you have all these people with fucking Oscars. You were fucked by an oven of witches? You got fucked by an oven full of witches? Not an oven! A coven! (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I don't exactly know what happened, how it all played out, but, I mean, basically what it boils down to, Bruce Willis, friends with Tarantino... Wanted to help him out because, you know, why wouldn't... If you were friends with Tarantino, wouldn't you want to help him out? Like, especially, like, at this time, Tarantino was... He was three movies in. Really? In 95? Well, three or four. So you had... I mean, he had written Natural Born Killers, but that kind of got dismantled. But he had, obviously, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs... When did Pulp Fiction come out? 91. That came out? 91 or 93? I feel like it was 93. Um, And True Romance. Oh, I haven't seen that one. You will. You make that face every time, but you know I I haven't seen it because you haven't shown it to me yet. It's because I always forget. Because we always watch stuff. True Romance was 93. Um, Let's see. Pulp Fiction... Was ninety four, so he's. So yeah, when did fresh, Reservoir Dogs come out? Well, that, that was his I first, think was right? ninety one. Because he sold ninety two. He sold the script to Natural Born Killers to pay for Reservoir Dogs. Nope. Uh, yes, yes, but they it came out several years later because Natural Born Killers was ninety four. I remember everybody like going fucking crazy about that. Mickey and Mallory. And uh, Robert Downey was not Iron Man in that one. <laughs> no. Mickey and Mallory always leave one survivor. Yeah, the camera. <laughs> um. Yeah, it, it's. But anyways, so long story short, that is why Bruce Willis did not get billing. That was like the compromise. It's mm. you know you weren't paid. That goes against SAG rules and restrictions or what have you yeah yeah exactly like union rules so as a result they said hey you know what we're just not even going to put him on the billing no one's going to know that he's in it until they see it and it's like oh hey bruce willis is in it they ended up like you know tarantino and robert rodriguez who did the last two rooms here uh they would probably the the best yeah i mean the stories are all very very good but they would get around some of these rules by like, oh, I'll score your film for a dollar if you direct this scene for me. You know, like they do shit like that all the time to kind of get around it because they don't want to charge each other. I mean, they did that with Grindhouse. Right. You know, like, oh, if you direct this scene or if you write this scene or if you do this, you know, I'll score your movie for a dollar. Right, right, and that's what it stems from. It stems from this whole thing, the whole fiasco with Bruce Willis not getting paid. So in order to kind of roundabout give SAG a fuck you while still staying within guidelines, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what they do. It's like, hey, I'll pay you 
50 cents per... No, it's a dollar. You know, it has to be a dollar. dollar. It has, has to be a dollar. dollar. Yeah, so that's that's why they do that. And, um, I mean, these guys work together prior to this. Um, actually, a bunch of these guys work together prior to this in uh, from, dus- from Dust Till Dawn and Desperado. Like... Tarantino and, you know, like he tends to work with the same people over and over again. Juliette Lewis, Harvey Keitel over and over and over again. Um, you know, Sam Jackson eventually. Zoe Bell. like Leonardo DiCaprio eventually. But at that time, it was Paul Calderon, who was in the final room, the penthouse, who was also in um, Pulp Fiction as Paul the Bartender. You know, he had um, Bruce Willis, obviously. You know, he's so this film, uh, I'm going to ask you the same thing I always ask you when, you know, we talk about a character. When was the first time you saw this and what did you think? So the first time I saw this was when you first showed it to me. When did we first watch it? Probably about eight or nine years ago. I'm trying to remember if it was. I think we might have red boxed it, or it, it, it might have been the the um, VHS no, that I, I had. I it, it was uh, I, I can't I don't remember I don't remember if it was our I, I know it wasn't this apartment you know we watched it because we, we've seen it a couple of times since then mm-hmm. but I'm trying to remember if it was the our first apartment. Or if we watched, I think we may have watched it when we first started dating and you were living at your parents' house. It was a, a movie that I was excited for you to see. Because there were a few that we we watched at your parents' house. Mm. I mean, movies have always been like a huge part of our, our relationship, so... But yeah, so I I forget, but I do remember because you know we were talking about Tarantino. And I was saying how much I enjoy his films and how I wanted to revisit a few of them because you know my first time watching it, I don't think I appreciated them as much as I I potentially could have. And you were like, "Hey, like, have you ever seen Four Rooms?" And I said, "What the hell are you talking about?" And, and, you know, because pretty much no one has heard of this film. And if you have and you're listening right now, like you're, you're a handful of people, you know, uh, it's so brilliant. It's so well done. And I think I, I forget how we got on the topic. Oh, I think I was telling you how I'm, I'm a huge fan of Kathy Griffin. I fucking love her. I used to watch My Life on the D-List. I've watched all of her, of her specials and stuff, uh, you know, when, when she was on Bravo and then she's done some some other stuff obviously recently she's got into a bit of a a bit of a bind but has worked herself out of it and I just think she's fucking brilliant I think she's hilarious I'm not really big into comics a little more so now than I was at the time but I've always loved Kathy Griffin I loved her her delivery she's witty like she's she's smarter than she she lets on, and I, and you were like, hey, she's you know in this movie, and I was like, shut up, I've never heard of this movie, and you're like, yeah, you know, blah 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 blah. So, anyways, we we watched it, and it was so good. And my favorite room, the first time watching, is still my favorite room now. Yeah, room three, the misbehaviors. Yes. Um, but it's so it's so good, and upon rewatching it, so we've seen it a couple of times. Since then, obviously, rewatching it most recently in preparation for this show, and 
it still holds up. Like, regardless of how many times you've you've seen it, how many times you rewatch it, it still holds up. It's still fucking hilarious at times and just completely bizarre and everything uh, everything just wor- like the 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 beatnik soundtrack like everything just kind of works yeah i wouldn't say beatnik maybe like scatty jazz like yes you guys like, will hear it later on like because yeah, beatnik i was thinking 90s so like, like bebop beatnik? Beatnik was not the right word, but like the it it just it's the just name of worse. the band that plays the song is fucking Combustible Edison. So take that into consideration. But it just it just works like everything, the way it was set up, you know, the cohesiveness of everything. Having Tim Roth be the character that ties everything together, you know, the the concept it it just works. So. I remember seeing it, uh, a friend of mine had shown me, like, I wasn't as into movies as I am now. Like, I wasn't, you know, actively seeking out new things. I was kind of sticking with my comfort zone, like, oh, I'll watch this Schwarzenegger film, or oh, I'll watch this, you know, you know, Stallone film, like, and the same kind of things over and over again. But a friend of mine in high school named Matt Nielsen, he showed me this movie, like, a bunch of people went over to his house, and we all watched it. And it was fucking amazing. I was like, this is one of the best things I've ever seen. And since then, like, I used to, you know, hold it. I still do kind of hold it as a source of pride because everyone I met, nobody had ever seen. Of course, now, you know, a lot of the folks that I talk to and and know and, you know, meet at conventions and whatnot uh, are a lot more sophisticated in their taste in film. So a lot of people have seen this because, you know, especially now where it's a little more uh, accessible. Like it was on Netflix for a while. Um, we own it on Vudu. I used to have the VHS, but I lent it out to somebody and it vanished. I don't know whatever happened to it, which is kind of a bummer because I really liked that movie. Um, but I remember thinking like, holy shit, like all these fucking people are in it and I've never heard of this. And this is, you know... 95 96 so this is like around the time it came out you know because that's when i started high school and i had no idea that it was even a thing no clue um so this movie starts off and again another uh tarantino staple tim roth who i think has been in just about everything he's done so fun fact this role was actually written with steve buscemi in mind another Tarantino like staple who again well, especially in the 90s I mean he's yeah he's just been in like everything you know spe- I mean he was great as Mr. Pink I have to be Mr. Pink yeah. <laughs> um yeah the, the but so I don't know exactly what happened there but he ended up casting Tim Roth Mr. Orange mm-hmm as as Ted the Bell Theodore, Theo, the thumper. <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's uh, he's really good in this, and like his accent goes all fucking over. I, the place. I feel like saying he's really good in this is an understatement. Tim Roth is fucking brilliant in this film. Might be his best he work. He is so 
bonkers and so animated. It's he's almost like a cartoon character with his actions and his facial expressions. The noises and this, he I makes. I would say the noises <laughs> he makes, the the multiple accents that he has, the tone of his voice sometimes. You know, I, it's almost like he's he's a caricature. He's he's a cartoon character. Yeah, it, it's it's almost like each room brings out a different side of him. Um so as we mentioned earlier, this starts with him having his first day and he's getting a pep talk from a guy who's been there forever. And it's New Year's Eve. So imagine you are starting your first job, you know, well, not first job, but it's your first night on your, you know, a, a, on a your new own. job, you know, and it's fucking New Year's Eve in a hotel. Like, you know, crazy shenanigans are going to happen. And you're the only one there. So everything that has to be done, like, you have to do it. I'm guessing there are probably people in the kitchen. I mean, there's he's the only bellhop on the staff that evening. He's the only one there to, you know... Answer the bell. Answer the phone answer calls, the phone. bring luggage up and down, get people to their rooms. So everything that gets told to him at the beginning, all the advice given to him... All the don't-do's. Or like, you know, don't get involved in marital disputes. Don't, you know, do this. And keep your cock in your pants. Everything that he is told at the beginning, uh, it's basically foreshadowing for the rest of the film. Like, the first room is called The Missing Ingredient. And uh, do you want to talk a little bit about The Missing Ingredient? So... The first segment, the first room, was written and directed by Allison Anders. And Ted, the bellhop, is really excited. This, these are the first people he's checking in for the evening. He's enthusiastic. Kind of like he's, he's eager. There are stars in his eyes. He just wants to do a really good job. He and also he wants, wants tips. To, well, it, well, exactly. Because, you know, knowing that it's New Year's Eve, knowing that the hotel is busy, there's a lot of potential to make tips. And, you know, as a, as a, as a bellboy, as a bellhop, you probably make minimum wage. So like a wait, you know, like probably wait staff. Probably making two bucks an hour at that point. I say, you know, so like wait staff, you, you live off of tips. So he was really eager to please. And apparently in the first room, more ways than one. Um, so we find out, and I, I believe the first one to check in is Madonna. Um, As Elspeth. No, I think it's... Um, or is it... Um, oh, uh, Valeria Galino. As Athena. Well, she's she's there. Well, I, I forget the, the way that they check there in. There is some stuff missing. Like, there's some stuff, if you watch the trailer and you've seen the movie a few times, like we have, there's stuff in the trailer there's that's not that y- in the right. film. There's, like there's some continuity errors. But but anyways, you know, he's, he's getting these women situated in the honeymoon suite... And, you know, he seems to be very intrigued by what's going on, but, you know, more intrigued about let me make them happy so they'll pay me. I mean, because, you know, Madonna, the first thing, like, he's playing pinball. Madonna, like, you know, dings the bell and, like, kicks the her luggage over to him. And she's talking to, Madonna is talking to uh, Kiva, played by Alicia Witt. And she's like, she's like, oh, I, uh. You know, I want a cigarette. Like, you can't have a cigarette. She's like, well, you smoke. She goes, yes, I do. And I'm addicted. 
She's like, y- you know, you're not my mother. Yes, I am. Then how come we're sleeping together? And, like, you just kind of see Tim Roth kind of, because he's looking away from them. He's got, like, the luggage rack thing, and he's walking away from them but towards the camera, and he kind of has this, like, I'm staying out of this, you know, type of, uh, you know, look on his Because face. he tried really hard in the beginning to follow the rules, follow the advice that it was given to him by in more ways than one, yeah. you know, given to him by, by his predecessor. And come to find out it's this coven of witches and they are meeting up in the honeymoon suite because that is where the goddess Diana was turned to stone on her, her wedding, night. wedding nights 40 years prior because of reasons. And so they were trying to jealous. bring her back and do the goddess's work. And they each, each, each witch had something that they were milk for my mother's sweet tea. Supposed <laughs> to bring to the table to this. This they turned a. Uh, it, it was a ritual. Well, no, but n- I no, I, I know it oh, was oh, a ritual. Oh, 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 oh like they the hot turned, tub. Yes, they turned the hot tub into a cauldron. Yes, they did. And they each brought something to the table and had a, a, a really witty diatribe to go with it. It's a spell. Yeah, they're spelled, yes. And then we get to this one witch who... Eva. Seems like she's uh, a slight neophyte. Yes, because this isn't what she wants to do. She wants to be a midwife. Right. But uh, she um, didn't quite necessarily hold up her end of the bargain. She tried. If I remember correctly, I'm just going to try to recite (laughs) this from memory. (laughs) Goddess Diana, fail you I will. I was supposed to bring you sperm from my bill. I had him erect and his semen would follow. But alas, it was hot, so hot that I swallowed. Yes, I believe that's how I might be off Something by a it word was, yes, or two, it was, but it that's was that's like ninety percent. So everyone else had poured in, given their their Milk they're giving their you know. <laughs> that's my favorite part. <laughs> like she has like this, like you know, heartfelt, like really like strong spell that she's saying. And then she just ends it with that. Like. So everyone has given their their offering, except for Eva. And they said, well, you have an hour. You have an hour to rectify this. You have an hour to make it right so that the spell doesn't go bad and everything is, is, is a waste. So she seduces Ted the bellhop. Now, this is right, you know, they had sent him down to the kitchen to get specific things that they needed like for the rosemary ritual. rosemary and sea, sea salt. And uh, french fries. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and he backs into the room with the cart, and he turns around, and he sees uh, Eva and Jezebel, both topless, and he just kind of, like, looks around like he's never seen boobs before, and he's just, like, shocked. And uh, He's like, hey, it's this kind of party, huh? No sex. With a clientele. <laughs> That's what he tells her. 
and because she explains the whole thing that's going on, and she seduces him by zapping him with his with her eye beams, and the best part of this whole like exchange between the two of them is like he starts, you know, you know, she's telling him about how she's a midwife, and he's like, really. That's good. Like he's almost <laughs> like he's love drunk, mm-hmm. and he starts taking off his his shirt, and he's like, "Oh, Betty's gonna kill me!" And she's like, "Who's Betty?" Almost like this was his idea, mm-hmm. you know. And he's like, "The boss." And she's like, "Oh, good." <laughs> so, long story short, they complete the ritual. They just do it. Right in the tub. And I call bullshit on that because there's no water on the floor. Like, all of the candles. Like, and that was a pretty full cauldron. Like, all the candles were still lit. She gives him uh, her card. And he's like, sure, baby. I'll call you. And he, like, walks out of the room, like, pushes his hat forward and, like, struts down the hallway. (laughs) What I love, too, is there's a a little callback to that scene in the middle of the film where you see she's wearing this. She has this very, um, it's like the 90s version of 50s pinup style. So she has this cherries barrette, like hair clip in her hair. And you see the hair clip hanging. With the card. With the card. Yeah, later on. Yeah. So... Just a nice little callback. Yeah. So, I mean, right off the bat, right away, Ted the Bellhop is doing things that he was told not to do. But, I mean, even he got he got some good tips. Um, Madonna stuck her money between her boobs and made him get it. He was very sheepish and shy about getting it. And then uh, uh, um, Valeria Galino, as Athena, gave him a $50 tip to make... To make Eva smile. Right. And he's like yes. making faces. $50 and to make her smile. Yeah. So he's trying to be, he's almost like soupy sales. Trying like, to make her laugh. Like making faces and like, you know, doing different things and like making little noises. He's like, oh, come on. It's 50. They're like, she's like, they don't care if I smile. Like, that's, that's not what they're going for. Like, let me explain. Which I thought was pretty funny because like, I'm hoping that was improvised. Because this was really well written like all the way through like there's even a line where all the witches are waiting outside and madonna's like if she doesn't get his goop in five minutes i'll go in there and get it myself and jezebel goes oh that would be a first for you (laughs) because i think this is right around the time madonna released her sex book Yes, so madonna in the mid 90s actually madonna throughout the 90s had like the best costume she went through the i I think the best phases the best phases of madonna happened in the 90s yeah the pointy boobs you know vogue um you know the the sex book happened in the mid 90s so this was about the time where she i think the sex book had already come out she had already done like justify my love and stuff and she was trying to be taken seriously as an actor. Yeah, and she did. Or she uh, did Dick Tracy, which you not know, a good it's, movie. But she was good as Breathless Mahoney. She was Mahoney. good, uh, and then she did A League of Their Own, which she was really good. And she and did the she, music. And she went on to play Ava Perone in Evita. And then. And 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 you know 
was critically acclaimed. Yeah. So yeah, she was. She was. I don't understand why she wasn't like considered better in this. Like everybody was good, but everybody had like minor roles, with the exception of Tim Roth. So he's now all set. Like he's taking care of this room, and he's nights off to a pretty good start. He saw a bunch of boobs, got laid. Got a pretty good tip. Yeah, he got, you know, 50 and bucks. And $50. Yeah. So he's uh, at the front desk, and somebody buzzes down to him. It's almost like great value version of Patrick Dempsey and Scott Kahn. Uh, those are the best way I can describe the two actors in this scene that you get to see. You know, like the Walmart brand. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I, I, th- I th- I think so. He's definitely so. Walmart uh, Patrick Dempsey. Yeah. If you look at the guy again, you'll he he. It's like it's close, but like no, you can definitely <laughs> tell. It's like oh, here's Coke. It's like nah, it's not Coke. This is like Diet Right. Like this isn't you know, it's not quite the same thing. It's not Dr. Pepper, it's Dr. Thunder. It's Mr. Mister Spicy. Like, it's not even close to being the same <laughs> thing. Mr. Doctor something. Mr. Doctor. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to judge? Um, and this room is called The Wrong Man. So these guys are having a, uh, they're in a party, and they're making drinks, and they need ice. That's what they need from the front desk. But they don't know what room they're in. They think it's 404. And then it's like, wait, I I thought we were on the fifth floor. Oh, yeah, you're right, 409. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense because they're drunk. Mm -hmm. So they they go up. uh, Ted goes up with the ice, and he's smoking a cigarette and, uh, you know, kind of like not strutting, but like he's got a weird walk to him. You know, he's just enjoying himself. It's almost like... He's listening to an imaginary Walkman as he goes down this hallway. Um, This segment uh, is probably the most minimal of all the segments. Uh, It is directed by Alexandra Alexandra Alexander Alexandra Rockwell, and it stars David Proval, who you might recognize from uh, the Monster Squad. He was the uh, plane pilot where they were tra- that was transporting uh, Frankenstein's monster, and um, Jennifer Beals, Shawshank Redemption, and yes, Jennifer Beals from Flashdance. What a feeling! She's a maniac, just a steel town girl on a Saturday night, looking for the fight of her life. Um, and he walks in, and immediately has a gun shoved in his face. And throughout this entire scene, you're trying to figure out if this is really happening because somehow they know who he is. They know his name is, they call him Theodore, but there's a whole, I don't want to spoil this if you haven't seen it because that scene is fucking amazing about how he doesn't like to be called Theodore. He prefers Ted. Um, but Jennifer Beals is tied up. Mm-hmm. And... David Proval is wearing uh, a dress shirt, a tie, boxers, and he has uh, dr- stocking garters. Dress, yeah, dress shoes on with sock garters. 
but he doesn't have any pants. But otherwise, well, he's ready for a night on the town. Pants are optional at this point. And but Jennifer Beals has got a nice dress on. She's got her pearls she on. She doesn't have a nice dress on. She's in a slip. Oh, I don't know. It looked like a nice silk dress. I don't. No, she was. She was not dressed. She was not dressed. Her. She had her hair done up. Her makeup was done. She was definitely accessorized for the evening. She had her pearl but necklace she, that was holding her uh, gag in her mouth. Yes, but yeah, she was. She was in a slip. You know the the undergarments that ladies will wear underneath their dresses. I don't know these things. Clearly, you do not. I thought it that might is have why I am here. Yes. So. So anyways, you know, it, had they been dressed, you would think that they would be ready for a night out on the town. But Ted the Bellhop walks into this hostage-like situation. Marital dispute. There's a marital dispute, which again <laughs> goes against the advice that he was given in the beginning. Stay out of marital disputes. Now, he didn't purposefully interject himself into this situation. He just accidentally went to the wrong room. So you try to try you you start to try to figure out what are they doing? Is this real? Like is this an actual thing? Is uh she cheating on him with somebody named Theodore? It's certainly not our Theodore. You know, so what is going on? Like he fakes a heart attack and Ted tries to escape and flushes her dress. That's right, her dress is in the toilet and it gets flushed down the toilet yes. as he tries to escape out the fourth floor window. For some reason, uh, Angela, that's her name. I couldn't think of her name. Angela, and uh, after he goes on his whole tirade about... Siegfried. My, my name is Siegfried. And, like, all kinds of crazy shit starts happening. Like, But then, like, Siegfried decides that he likes Theodore. There's a... And this um, is after Jennifer Beale's character, Angela, goes on this whole tirade about Theodore's... Swang <clears throat> thing, nether rod, regions, hot rod, but like that's how it ends because she just keeps using all the different euphemisms. But there's a part in this episode, and or, yeah, this episode because it's episodic, it really is. Uh, it starts with uh, the phone ringing and Siegfried answering, "What? We ain't getting any needles in here, kid. Just a big fucking gun." How does that grab you? And you have no idea what the fuck he's talking about. But this is another Tarantino-like trademark. Shooting things out of order. Like when you watch Pulp Fiction. The beginning of Pulp Fiction is the end of Pulp Fiction. So, you're trying to figure out what that is. But, like, it's quickly pushed to the back of your mind with, like, this whole cat and mouse he made you have psychosex with his wife? Like, you have no idea if this is real, if it's staged, if it's, like, something that they Well, do. I mean, and then and then Ted kind of starts questioning his sanity, like, well, maybe I did have... Did I sleep with you? Maybe I slept with you. I don't know. And then he befriends Siegfried. Yeah, I think that's a, a mild form of Stockholm Syndrome. You know, they become buddies. And she She says something like, you know, you're a shit monkey boy. And they, you know, Siegfried's got his arm around Ted and they both look at her like, oh, how dare you? The very idea. This is a great room. I just want to point out before I get, we get too far in this, everyone who directed also wrote their, their room. Yes. So it was written and directed by the same person. So 
it gives you that sense of uh, consistency. And you can definitely hear the different voices from the actors, I mean, from the writers and the directors. Like, they all have their signature styles, especially Rodriguez and Tarantino, obviously. But in this room, this room is such a mind fuck in comparison to the other rooms because you have no... And, and Ted has no idea. Like, there are times when Ted's going along with the idea. There's times when Ted's trying to escape. There are times when... I don't think Ted even fucking knows what's going on. He's just trying to survive and not get shot. Yeah, because, I mean, there's even... And it's in the trailer that you heard... And this is where he st- he starts to get a... Obviously, he was really just kind of going with the flow, with the first room. He starts to get a little manic. Yes, like he starts and freaking he, out. You get to see kind of the the cartoon caricature-esque nature. Ever want a bonnet? Give it a try sometime. Of, yeah, of, 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 of Ted starts to come out in this room specifically. Yeah, because even like with what's going on in the room, he's like, he's like, is this about... Another man? And Siegfried's like, are you saying my wife cheats on me? And even Angela looks at him like, yeah, is that what you're saying, Ted? Although she's got the gag in her mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is a we- I don't want to get into too much because this might be the most well-written room. In, in, you know, the fact that it only stars the three actors... Yeah. In comparison to, you know, all of the other rooms have multiple people. Going this back only has and forth. Three, right, you know, different dialogues and stuff. This this it only has the three. Yeah, I mean, you have like the half a dozen in the first room. This room just the three of them, one location. Like that's it. Um the next room, you know, there's there's five counting Ted. And the room after there's another half a dozen people. Right. So um, I do like this one a lot. It's not my favorite. And it's almost like Ted kind of starts to come unraveled a bit. It's almost like he, he slowly... He starts succumbing to the stress. He realizes that not every room bit. is going to be the first room. Well, well, there's that. But... Uh, I, I I think he he realizes that he's in for quite the night. Yeah. So next, I'll let you just take this one because I know this is your favorite. This is my favorite room. So the next room, the third room, is called The Misbehaviors. It was written and directed by Robert Rodriguez. And we are introduced to a husband and wife. The husband is Antonio Banderas. And oh, my goodness. So this is this is mid 90s. Now, I mean, not that Antonio Banderas has ever had a moment where he's looked bad. I think he looks kind of juicy these days. You know, he definitely has the whole, you know, the older he gets. The, the better looking he gets, but like mid nineties, Antonio Banderas was pretty fucking hot. Wait till you see Desperado, like, you'll lose very your shit. sexy. Like like you know he was Zorro, you know he was no, he was Desperado, and 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 you know like the just the accent and everything. He is Antonio Banderas, you know, and he's just he's just cool. And this husband character that he plays is just really, he's really cool. It's but, a very Mexican gangster, dude. <laughs> but uh, he's he he's very upkept. 
and John Waters esque mustache. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Is so. I'm telling hot. you, once you watch Desperado, dude, you should grow that kind of mustache. Uh no. No, you no, you can't grow a mustache. I will not grow you a mustache. Just, People have seen me with a mustache. <laughs> unless I have <laughs> the full beard, I can't just do the mustache. No. 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 But I, I just want to say this one last time. Desperado, because not only is it height of his powers Antonio Banderas, it's height of her powers Salma Hayek. Not quite dust till dawn snake dance Salma Hayek. She was gorgeous in that. Uh, but she was pretty, mean, like, she pretty awesome. She hasn't aged a day. Yeah, thank you. She's I will. Gorgeous. But anyways, um, so husband and wife, Antonio Banderas and Tamlin Tamita, husband and wife, in the bathroom, getting themselves and their children ready to go out for New Year's Eve. They're all dressed in black. Husband, super slicked back hair into a ponytail perfectly kempt, you know, mustache, no facial hair. He's just tuxedo. Everything is perfect. Wife, although apparently he hates his wife's hair. Wife, I thought she looked fantastic. You know that, that, that he hates her hair because it's her son. Their son has, has her, her hair because he's trying to slick it he's, back in the ponytail like him to, to deal with. Yes. See that you look cool. Um, so, and, and she has like the perfectly quaffed shortcut of the nineties that like these battle acts like women had, it was super powerful and, and, and sexy, like short hair. Cynthia Rothrock type. Kind of. Yeah. And you know, she has this gorgeous slinky black dress on their children, son, daughter, both dressed in black as well. You know, son is in a little tuxedo. Daughter is in this cute little black dress. Husband trying to comb through his son's hair, complaining about the hair, trying to slick it back to mimic his own hair. And she is combing through her daughter's hair. You've got your mother's hair. hair. I can't do a thing with it. You know, trying to get ready to go out to enjoy New Year's Eve. And then they decide, hey, why don't we just leave the children here and go out on our own? They call up Ted the Bellhop, and all of a sudden, Ted the Bellhop is babysitting. I mean, they didn't expect him to babysit all night. They were just like, hey, come come check on them a couple of times. Make sure, you know, that they go to bed. Make sure they're not misbehaving. Make sure that, you know, the, the, the kids are still alive. And check up on them every half an hour. Make sure they're fed. Make sure they go to bed. You know, and he knows that if if he, this is Ted I'm talking about, he knows that if he complies, there will be a hefty tip for him at the end. Well, he gives it to him at the beginning. He says, how would you like to make $500? And he's like, sure. How about 300 300 good? You know? Like that whole exchange. Are you calling my kids a pain in the ass? It's not your kids. It's a situation that's the pain in the ass. Like... He is so good. Like that, again, I don't want to ruin it Like because of what goes back Well, if back you don't want to ruin it, then why are we even talking about it? Because it's a great exchange. Like this is probably, again, 
this is my favorite fucking room, okay? The best ending to any room. And it it is. So the parents leave. They're going off. They're going drinking and dancing and what have you. It's New Year's Eve. They're going to live Carousing and cavorting. So the kids are left alone. And... Ted the bellhop does his best to check on him them as as much as possible. Because what is it, what is Antonio Banderas says? He says, you know, uh, Ted's like, okay, just call me if you know if there's an emergency. And Sarah, the girl, goes, that's not what my dad said. My dad said to call you if we need anything, and you don't want to make my dad mad. And Ted kind of, like, yeah, he did say that. And yeah, I don't want to. You know, those scary Mexican gangster dude. Who talks like... Nobody talks like that. He does. At the end, when he's describing things that happened to him during he the night. He talk like that. Yes, he does. Most recently, there's room whatever. The scary Mexican gangster dude starts poking his finger in my chest. Like, that's one of the multiple accents he has. Doesn't sound exactly. He sounds pretty much exactly Not like that. Exactly. 100%. Like that. But right. anyways, so long story short, Ted the Bellhop does a lot of back and forth, up and down, trying to appease these children, trying, trying to make these children go to bed, trying to make these children not watch the dancing woman on TV, who just happens to be Selma Hayek. Yeah. Because, you know, her and Robert Rodriguez are friends. Yep. And uh, come to find out... The kids don't want to go to bed. And there's a weird smell in the room. So, well, Ted the Bellhop does something. He takes a little bit of, of Vaporub. Mentholatum ointment. And puts it over their eyes. Tucks them into bed and says, This is what my mother used to do to me when I wouldn't sleep. If you open your eyes, it will burn. Keep them shut. Fall asleep. And in the morning, it'll just go away. Yeah. So, the little girl, big sister, is uh, way too smart and gets up after Ted the Bellhop has left. The fireworks are going off. Waking fireworks are going off. Uh, she kind of feels her way to the bathroom washes the vapor rub off of her eyes and all of a sudden hey she can see again so she can watch the fireworks she can watch the tv the cartoons on the tv that she wanted to watch it was her brother who wanted to watch the dancing lady Selma Hayek who wouldn't though I mean come on now but anyways uh her brother realizes that she's like hey you know can you see and she's like yeah and he's like would you open your eyes and she's like no I washed it off. He's like, oh, that's, you know, typical stupid little brother. If you want to watch like, TV, too, you'd better go wash it off, too. So that's that's what he does. After he and runs into the fucking wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then they notice the smell. They've, the been, smell. they've been commenting I mean, on I mean, it all they've night. Been, yeah, they've been commenting on the smell. And they just assume that it's the little girl's feet. Don't say what it is. God, I, you can't spoil the end of this room. Come on, you're you killing can't. me, Smalls. Let's just uh. say there's okay. So, so, so there's a stench in the room, 
And the kids find out exactly what that stench is and call Ted the Bellhop in not so much a panic, but kind of like a, hey, this is what's going on. And Ted the Bellhop's like, I... Impossible. You can't see it. You've got the ointment. And she's like, I wash it off. Didn't you ever think of that? And he kind of just like sits there like, no. Wow. I never thought of that. (laughs) But there's this whole series of events. That happens, (laughs) and it ends up, so Ted the Bellhop runs upstairs to tend to the children. Because right as he hangs up the phone, the elevator opens, and and there's Antonio holding his... Carrying Comatose wife. Yes. Who still is holding a liquor bottle in her left hand, even though she's passed God, I want to be just like her. You have been. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> it's good to have dreams. Um, so anyways, long story short, the parents finally make up their way up to the room. The little girl is chugging champagne. The little boy is smoking cigarettes. All of a sudden, the room is in flames. The smell has been found and exposed and And we also find out what that phone call was in the previous room yes they found a giant which is tied directly into the smell a giant fucking syringe right so oh yeah that's right little girl stabs ted the bellhop in the leg in the leg with giant syringe containing something infecting me with god knows what Something. So, 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 anyways, the room is ablaze. Kids are smoking and drinking. Tell the bed, Ted the bellhop has been stabbed. He is now not having a, well, I mean, he, he, aside from the first room, he's not having a great night. Now he's really not having a great night. And Antonio Banteras looks at him and says, Did they misbehave? He surveys the damage of the room, (laughs) looks around, sees the kid smoking. The kid, like, (laughs) takes the cigarette and throws it behind him. It ignites the champagne that's on the floor. He drops his wife. He drops his wife on the ground. Ted, while hopping around (laughs) with the, the needle in his leg, he steps on the remote, turns it back on to dancing dancing Selma Hayek. (laughs) And he looks at him and is like, did they misbehave? And it's like the best, but like there's other stuff that <laughs> happens that like makes it even more like insane. So now Ted's had it. He's done. That's the best He's room. done. The best he goes room. downstairs. He finds uh, Betty's number, uh, which is Kathy Griffin. That's his boss, as we mentioned in the uh, first room. And he calls. And stoned out of her fucking mind, Marissa Tomei answers the Margaret. phone. Margaret. Yes. And they he proceeds to tell her about his his night. And we hear this a little bit in the uh in the um trailer where she's talking to him, and this is again his weird accent change where he's like, you know, he finally gets Margaret to give Betty the phone. And she's like, she's like, hi, Ted. And she's like, what's the problem? He's like, hello, Betty. What's the problem? I haven't got a problem. I've got fucking problems. 
plural. One away. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, he's Michael Caine. Like, and he just goes on this rant, which is the best speech in the entire, in the entire movie. Like, he just goes on this rant, and, and it's just about the last room. It's mm-hmm. rooms blazing a fire. <laughs> oh, it's so great. But, like, he continually gets more and more animated throughout the night, which, I mean, with all due respect, I, completely understandable. And while he's Because on at the this phone, point, he's just, he's, I mean, he's been stabbed. He's had a gun in his face. You know, it, it, he's had his life threatened multiple times. He got pistol whipped. Um, he, yeah, he's just having a tough time. He's made some good money. He's made around six hundred bucks so far. But I mean, at this point, like, is it is it? Wor- it's not is worth it because it? you're going to have to go to the clinic and find out what the hell you got stabbed with, like what was in that needle that you got stabbed with. Um, and while they're on the phone, the penthouse calls, and she's like, "They probably just want ice. You can do that, can't you?" And he's just like, "She's like, the entire staff of the Monsignor is begging you." To answer this right. call because it's because Chester Rush, the director. And this hotel has seen some bad times. So the fact that they have this big Hollywood hotshot. Who is ordering bottle after bottle after bottle of, of Cristal. Cristal. You know, staying at this hotel, it's like make him happy and maybe the Monsignor will be put back on the map. You know, once upon a time it was the most happening ho- hotel in L.A. And, you know, it hasn't been so hot since Yeah, like we were saying, then. you know, like the, the, the mentor guy, you know, when he's, you know, telling Ted at the beginning. Ted's like, do you ever meet anybody famous? And he's like, you kidding? I took Rin Tin Tin out for a shit, for Christ's sake. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, presidents and movie stars, you know, very similar to, the, you know, when they were talking about the Overlook Hotel, you know, in The Shining. You know, like presidents and royalty and, you know, actors, directors, all this great stuff. So Chester Rush, played by Quentin Tarantino. You know, side note, I love that Tarantino puts himself in all of his films. Almost. In some way, shape, or form. Not always. Most of the time. Most of the time. I mean, even if you don't know, like, Inglorious Bastards. It was a bit part. Right. It was his hands strangling Diane Kruger. Right. So, but, like, you really have to dig in to know. Like, he, he usually puts himself in and usually kills himself. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a 50 fi- like, you know. Django. He, Django, Dust Till Dawn. I know that's Rodriguez, but still. Didn't he also do it in um, Hateful Hateful Eight? Hateful Eight. He wasn't. In Hateful Eight, or am I? He wasn't in Hateful Eight. You were thinking. You're probably thinking of Django. I don't think he was in Hateful Eight. I can't recall him in Hateful Eight at all. He was in Death Proof. He didn't die in that. But he did die in uh, Planet Terror. Usually Rodriguez kills him now that I'm thinking about it. Because he died in Planet Terror. He died in um, Dusk Till Dawn. He died in uh, Desperado. <laughs> like, So usually Robert Rodriguez kills him. But I mean, especially in this scenario, casting himself as this this actor, this director. very lavish director. He's a director yeah. Right. Like, he knew how he wanted it played. 
he knew what he wanted to accomplish. He doesn't give himself main roles. He gives himself important bit roles like Jimmy in Pulp Fiction. Right, but in this, because there are many other characters in this scene with him. Yeah. And it's such a short, I mean, I think it's 21 minutes. Yeah, they're all around that time. Like, none of them are, are longer than half an hour. I don't think any of them even hit half an hour. But this room is based off of a story that you like. Yes. Uh, so this final room, and a lot of people, uh, our buddy Powerful Brandon pointed this out. Uh, this one is called um, f- The Man from... The Man from Hollywood. The Man from Hollywood, right. Which is based on the Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode called The Man from Rio, starring Peter Lorre and Steve McQueen, which is based on the Roald Dahl story, The Man from the South. And if you are unfamiliar with Roald Dahl or, like, you can't quite place that name, uh, he wrote Willy Wonka, The Witches, James and the Giant Peach, Charlie and the... Uh, I said Willy Wonka. Um, Matilda, The Witches, the BFG, you know... Pretty much your childhood. He wrote yeah, your childhood. So much stuff. So much stuff. And this was one of the things he wrote. It was. It's very dark. Um, they changed it a bit for the uh, the um, the the Alfred Hitchcock episode, and they changed it a bit for this. But one constant remains the same. It is one person betting another person a car against a a finger that you have to light your cigarette lighter 10 times in a row. And if you can light your cigarette lighter 10 times in a row without missing once, you get the car. But if you don't, the other guy gets your finger. That's essentially the premise. And again, the stories are slightly different because of you know, you know, the, the medium in which they're being portrayed. But... I remember reading the story because I didn't know it was a real thing and I ended up looking it up and I was like, wow, this is really great. And wow, the story is intense and it's dark and a little racist, but just a little bit. But I mean, it was Roald Dahl in the thirties. So or forties or fifties, whenever the hell this happened. I mean, this is a dude who was part of the, just as a side note, because I kind of like throwing this out, Roald Dahl, Ian Fleming, who wrote the James Bond novels um Roald Dahl, Ian Fleming and Christopher Lee and I think there was one other person used to all hang out because they were all in the special forces and one of the things that Roald Dahl did was seduce women seduce married women to gain secrets of important German officials and uh, military people like that was his job during World War II so just remember that next time you watch uh, Willy Wonka. It's like, no, the guy who wrote this used to seduce uh, the wives of powerful uh, Nazis. Like That was his job. So we see Jennifer Beals, and she's uh, and Ted's like, wait, is Siegfried here? And she's like, no, he, he took all his medication. He'll probably sleep till Christmas, which would be quite some time because it's New Year's Eve. So... We have the aforementioned Bruce Willis in the other room. And what they're trying to do is 
they had Ted bring up a series of objects, some related to what they wanted him to do, and some not. So, so, so not just ice. Not just ice, but there is ice. There is ice. There is a donut, which uh, Tarantino eats whole. There is a club sandwich for Angela. There is three nails, string, a ball of twine, and a hatchet. And Tarantino corrects him and says, no, no. I said, a hatchet as sharp as the devil himself. Tim Roth says, you be the judge. And Paul Calderon inspects it and goes, that's a sharp motherfucker. Paul Calderon also refers to the car that's in the bet uh, as a color that you will not find in the uh, Crayola box. And I will not repeat it on air because it is not a word that I will say. But it is a shade of red that I did not know existed until I saw this film. And uh, it is a word that Tarantino uses quite often and receives lots of criticism for. So we'll just put it at that. So the bet is Tarantino will put up his super flashy gear, which I believe is the same car from Pulp Fiction. I might be wrong. Like, I might be wrong, but I think it's the same car from Pulp Fiction that Vincent drives. He puts his car up against uh, Paul Calderon's finger. And the reason they want Ted to do this is, like, you know, Tarantino explains. He goes, if I lose... You know, he's going to have no problem taking my car. But if he loses, I might have a problem. He's my friend. I might have a problem taking his finger, so we need you. And Ted's like, I'm not going to do it. And he goes to leave. Tarantino just goes, money! And Ted kind of, like, stops on one foot, kind of skids, and turns around. And he's like, I'll give you $100 right now. Just listen to me for 60 seconds. Afterwards, you can just tell us all to go fuck ourselves. But just listen to me for 60 seconds, and you'll get $100. And so he has this whole spiel, and as he's saying it, he's plopping $100 bills down in a pile. He goes, this is the pile that is yours. This is the pile that could be yours. And, you know, after 60 seconds, he says to him, he goes, and when you look back on this moment, are you going to say that you made $1,100 for, se- for 10 seconds worth of work or that you passed on $1,100 for five seconds worth of work or whatever it is. And so finally he's like, all right, I'm in. And I won't tell you how it ends because it's really funny and it rules. But like the whole scene, again, you know, it's Tarantino and it's his, his, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Signature dialogue style where they're going back and forth. And Let's just say that Ted is put in a position where he has to... Act in a very quick and frantic manner. He makes his choices. Yes. And walks away from the evening, the evening as a whole. Close to two grand. With a pretty handsome sum of money. Yeah, he does. He does. You know, either way, he gets the money. So, like, no matter what happens, I don't want to say what happens. But there's uh, you're killing me with this. I don't want to say what happened. I know the movie's been out. Talking about it, we're talking about Ted. But like for people who haven't heard of this film, and we know there's a lot who want to check this out. I don't want to spoil it because it's not a well-known film. But you know, did I spoil it for you? No. 
And aren't you glad I didn't tell you every detail? I did tell you a lot about it, but aren't you glad I didn't tell you every That's detail? That's because you can't shut up. Right, but I still didn't tell you everything. No, you, you didn't. But it's rather difficult to talk about the character of Ted the Bellhop without talking about everything that happens. No, it's not. It's super easy. Barely an inconvenience. I am very inconvenienced right now. You are not. I am so inconvenienced. But long story short, Tim Roth as Ted the Bellhop. I mean, we could sit here and we could tell you what happened, which is what we just did. You know, we could talk about, you know, there, there really isn't much of a character. Actually, no, there is a character evolution. He goes from this eager young man who just wants to do a good job on his first night to crushed by the weight of the world by the end of his shift to just fucking over everything at the end of his shift everything and this is just one night this is I I mean, probably granted, the only granted, night he works not there. every night and, and yeah and that's the thing like we don't know it. this is the only night that we're shown like this i would is have it. taken my almost 2 grand in 1995 and left you could buy a fairly decent like used car for you know 1500 bucks you know you could get a good car that would last you several years for 1500 bucks but yeah, so he goes from being this like wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, the world is my oyster, I'm going to do a really good job, I'm just eager to please, I just want to make everyone happy, you know, boy, to this disgruntled, fuck everyone, this is the worst job ever, this is all bullshit, I've had the worst night I've ever had in my life, like, Fuck everyone. Fuck all of you. I'm taking my ball and going home. Like, he does this complete 180, which I don't blame him. He does what we all wish we could do. Be like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm out. Fuck you. Throwing throwing middle fingers. Fuck you all. Fuck you. Fuck you. You're cool. Fuck (laughs) you. But, like, it's one of those things where he's just like, (laughs) I wish we could, like, if you've ever had a particularly bad day at work. Yep. Just be like, I wish I could just walk out of here, middle finger raised high. Yeah, but I also wish I could walk out of my job with like two grand in my pocket, like two grand extra. Like a severance package. Out of, uh, you know, after after a not so great day. But I don't. I know this role was written for Steve Buscemi, but I, 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 I can't. I imagine would have played it so different. He he would have. I think he would have nailed it, but not like this. I, I I can't envision anybody else doing this role, like playing this role. Like when I found that out, like I was kind of playing some of the scenes in my head, like with Buscemi, but like I think he would have gotten you know because Buscemi can be. Very much the character actor, so he 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 pours himself into into everything, and he can transform himself into multiple different characters. So I feel like he definitely would have lost himself in the role the same way that Tim Roth did, but or should say in a similar way, not I the same way. I think he would have played it similar to similar way to his role in Armageddon. But I don't. Th- it it wouldn't have been the crazy caricature animation that that Tim Roth brought to the role. 
No, like I again, I still think Buscemi could nail it, but I don't think he would have. Uh, it would not. It wouldn't have been as good. And I really like that's that. That's not a knock against Buscemi at all. It was this one role. You know, granted, Jennifer Beals was in the second room and the fourth room, but it was just kind of like a. She was just there. She was just there. She wasn't like, like a. She even a, says a main, hell of a night, huh, Ted? Yeah, she she wasn't like a, a main component. I think she was just thrown into the fourth room to kind of be almost like an anchor. Yeah, to be you like know, she kind of understands where he's coming from. You know, like 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 to kind of create some. She was grounding them because like dialogue. they were freaking out, like because they're hammered, and so she she kind of like steered them back. Yeah, but on what track. I mean was to kind of make the storyline a little more cohesive. Yeah, no, I get you, and like I said, you know, she was there to kind of keep them on track. But having this one character drive the plot. Not so much drive the plot, but definitely tie the plot in the different plots. It's generally in. you don't see so many things like fall a he's single the, actor. Uh, he's single the character. he's definitely the thread that ties everything together, and a lot of times with anthologies, there's this disconnect. Yeah, like it. Like things don't seem right they seem like separate entities like twilight zone the movie there's no common thread right whereas in this film there's definitely you know ted the bellhop is the is the the constant the common thread that ties everything he is he is always involved in everything even the the little the little blips in between the different scenes Right. You and know, him at the front desk, him making phone calls, what have you. I am aware that Twilight Zone was bookended with Dan Aykroyd asking if you want to see something really scary. But he wasn't in every single uh scene. He wasn't in all the different anthologies no, it's, or it's, episodes. He's he's uh an important character because he creates this cohesion. He makes this, you know, if you if you didn't know that this was four different writers, four different directors, and you weren't really paying attention if you were just watching the film, you probably wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah, like he's he's unassuming, but because he's a part of everything. And the way that he is kind of, you know, he becomes more frantic, the way that he changes up his accent, he changes up his mannerisms and stuff like that's the constant so he fit into whatever role he was put in he you know because that was we saw firsthand you know he's like uh, he knew what he was going through and he tried to keep it together as best as he could for each room but like it took less and less to set him off as the night progressed I think that's a good way to. He's a really great character. Oh yeah, Ted the Bell is phenomenal. It's maybe one of Tarantino's best characters, and Tarantino's made some great. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I keep saying Tarantino. You're assuming that Tarantino came up with because the character. he's the the you know most noteworthy uh, director of the four, and like they kind of centered everything. It's like, hey, it's from well, the people who so brought you Pulp Fiction. So fun fact. The film was actually supposed to be five rooms. Oh, that I didn't know. And Richard Linkletter 
was going to direct write and direct a room, but he pulled out. That's too bad. Although I think the four, I mean, it, the, the movie's about an hour and 40 minutes as it is. The four rooms works. Four rooms just sounds better than five rooms, in my opinion. Yeah, it's got that nice, you know, end consonant, beginning consonant. Four rooms. Uh, and, and there's just, you know, not only is, is, is Ted the, like I said, the thread that kind of holds everything together and he's a cohesiveness and stuff. There's a, everyone was on the same page. So obviously something different happens in each room, yeah. you know, to keep you excited and engaged. But there was still a, a similar theme happening. Yeah, Ted being fucked. Ted having a bad night. It's almost like watching a, a cruel deity toy with his creation, which is just mean. But at the end, you know, he got he got money, he got laid. You know, I would not be surprised if he took his seventeen uh, hundred ish dollars and uh, drove out to be with Eva. I mean, maybe. They I seem know. to really hit it off. Yeah. So I think that's a good place to stop. Uh, we're at close to two hours now, and uh, we still have a final segment to give you. So I think what we'll do, we'll end it there. And when we come back, we will uh, wrap everything up, give you a preview of what's coming in the next couple of weeks because we got some cool stuff happening. And, uh, yeah, so stay right there and... Behave. Greetings, weary adventurer. Do you have a taste for the exotic? Do regular snacks no longer provide the thrill ye seek? Would ye rather eat a cod piece than another boring candy bar? Then it's time for ye to sink your teeth into Mythical Meats Exotic Game Sticks. Mythical Meats offers a wide variety of exotic flavors based on creatures of legend to give you a snack experience of epic proportions. Like it hot? Try the Spicy Creatures Sample Pack featuring dragon, chupacabra, and werewolf. More in the mood for something a bit milder? Try the Creatures of the Sky Sample Pack with Pegasus, Griffin, and Phoenix. Can't decide on which one you want? Why not try the exotic flavor sample pack featuring all 10 flavors so you can find your favorite? Go to mythicalmeats.com to see the full selection of flavors and place your order. All orders over $49 get free two-day shipping. Mythical Meats exotic game snack sticks. So good, they're legendary. Hello again, everyone. It's Mr. Most Days Off from the Best Darn Diddly Review Show, here with a special message for you from Richie the WizKid. You know, a town without Best Darn Diddly is a little like the mule with the spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it, and danged if he knows how to use it. The name's WizKid, Richie the WizKid, and I come before you good fans of Springfield with probably the greatest podcast. Uh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville podcast. Now, you wait here just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. You tell us where to listen to Best Darn Diddly and we'll listen. I'll tell you exactly where you can listen to it. You can catch the Best Darn Diddly Review Show each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. 
So hop on the monorail and join us on this journey through the Simpsons series. seen the movie that's uh, some of the music that played especially during the, the uh, beatnik music yeah the beatnik music <laughs> that was the theme that was playing uh, at the end of the misbehaviors so uh which i thought was great um it's by combustible edison that one's called the millionaire's holiday and if you get a chance watch the music video for it it's pretty trippy it's definitely a 90s uh music video and we'll of course put the main uh, title theme at the at the end of this episode because that's one of the things we like to do to help folks uh, kind of identify the music with the movies. So if you've ever seen this, we want to hear from you. Tell us what you thought. Uh, what was your favorite room? Throw down Thursday podcast at gmail.com. And uh, before we go, we have a couple of things we need to tell you, like... The battle results from last week. That's right. What do we have? So Refresh people's memories. Last week, we talked about the crew from Galaxy Quest, and we threw down the ragtag space crew hullabaloo. We wanted to know which team of unsung misfits has what it takes to survive the elements and get home. The sandbox was Cybertron, which is Transformers stuff. The Transformers home planet. So you could choose from the Protector crew from Galaxy Quest, the Planet Express crew from Futurama, or the Freedom crew from Armageddon. And... Well, it's not unanimous, but both Facebook and Twitter agree because sometimes, you know, Facebook and Twitter disagree with each other. But the results from both agree that the Planet Express crew. Absolutely. And most people claimed it was because of the cartoon advantage. Yeah, I mean, you do have it. Although I will say, when it comes to this cartoon, uh, there are very few that are as grounded in actual real-world math and physics uh, as as these guys. And they were consistent through every episode. Their time travel worked well. Like all of their different, you know, like there are specific equations that were designed specifically for this, and math theorems that are now named after people. Like the uh, one that they used for figuring out when they did the brain switching episode, you know, there's a whole theorem based on the guy who who came up with it for the show. Um, I forget the name of it. I think we mentioned it on a previous episode, but I'll have to have to look it up. But he uh, there's a math theorem named after him because of the work that he did on the show for that specific episode for that specific plot line. So while they do have the cartoon aspect to it. It's based on, you know, 
science and physics and. I was gonna say I b- I believe they employed actual physicists. They had twelve PhDs writing. Yeah, ri- on the writing crew. So some of their uh, some of the things that happened on Futurama really aren't that far fetched. Yeah. Like obviously they took some creative liberties with like various life forms and and planetary oh, systems. Of, of course, but but some of the the science that's involved um, is is Spot pretty on. plausible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty great. That's I voted for Futurama. I kind of figured that that's who would win. Uh, I will point out that a lot of folks uh, in various groups. Did write-in votes for the uh, the Firefly uh, Serenity crew, uh, and we thought about adding that, but I am totally unfamiliar. I've never seen uh, an episode. Yeah, I have never seen it. I know that it has a really good cast. I mean, Alan Tudyk and 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 Nathan Wait, Fillion. Is Alan Tudyk, yeah, a part of it, really. Yeah. Nathan Fillion, Summer Glau, like, you know, it's got a great cast. I just I've never watched it, so I couldn't add those guys in. Um, because I'm not familiar with it. Because if there's a tiebreaker, I need to be able to break the tie. Um, oh wait, you're the authority on tiebreaking? Well, on that specific, on that specific thing, yes. On that, excuse yes. me. But obviously, there Whoa. are some that you have more knowledge than I do. Uh, but I will say this: uh, for those of you who are unaware, next Saturday, the 27th at 7:30 p.m., we are all going to be meeting up. Or as many people as who would want to join for the Angry Nerd Trivia Throwdown. We have a ton of prizes. There's going to be several places that get prizes. And the way we're doing it is there's a $5 entry fee. Kind of helps us offset you know, the, the cost of getting all these prizes. And there'll be 25 questions. I do have some tiebreakers. And some, fe- some people uh, are voting in our poll as we speak as to some of the questions they want asked, uh, the types of questions, you know, movies, you know, pop culture, video games, music, stuff like that. And the way it's going to work is we're going to put together all the prize packs, and if you come in first, you get to choose whatever prize pack you want, and that one's yours. Second place, you get to choose from what's left, third place, and so on until we run out of prize packs. And there's a lot. We have... Funkos, movies, books. books, Deadly Grounds coffee. Yeah, anybody? one of the prizes will be your whatever your flavor, choice, your choice, your choice of, of flavor, a and a mug. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have some of the DC Primal Age figures. I've got uh, three or four of those. I've got uh, let's see, Green Lantern. I've got a King Shark. I've got a couple of lanterns, a King Shark, a Joker. So we'll split those up. We've got some cool Funkos, you know, bloody Hannibal Lecter, regular Hannibal Lecter. And we're still buying stuff, too, in our travels. So, I mean. Alien Quadrilogy on Mm Blu-ray. That's one of the prizes. So we're going to figure out how we're going to kind of package them all up. But what we'd like to do is give away as many things as we can to as many places to kind of entice Giving away Patsy. No, nobody wants that. For calling me Stinkor. No one wants that. Only you. God damn it. Yeah, sorry. But yeah, there's going to be some more prizes. We'll post it in the group. Uh, so you can, uh, if you want to buy your ticket, there is a PayPal link on the event page. There is um, 
We do Facebook Pay. So you can send me $5 for your ticket through Facebook Pay. And we'll be sure to share the event page in the Throwdown Thursday group on the Throwdown Thursday page. Uh, We invited everyone in the group. So if you're not in the group but you want to take part in this, let us know. Join the group. We'll uh, get you an invite. We'll you know we'll be sending out more updates and everything as, as it, it gets, gets closer. closer. You know, and uh, some other groups have let us uh, promote this in their like Amalgamania, Geektopia, Geek Life HQ, and Powers Combined. There was a really nice benefactor who did something above and beyond that we will discuss later. Yes, to um, ensure that we get some. Awesome prizes. Right. You know, to to help those who may not necessarily, because, you know, these are kind of rough times. People are, are starting to, to go back to work. You know, it's, it's, it's weird. Everything's weird right now. So, uh, you know, if you need a little help financially, we may be able to help you thanks to this benefactor. Yes. So we will definitely be posting more about that later. Yeah, there are a couple people I've already reached out to who... Uh, I know want a place and they will have a place in the in the contest so um yeah so until then i think that's it do you have any oh yes uh, next week yeah we have a great guest next week uh photographer extraordinaire and, and fucking rock star yeah and huge horror fan jeremy saffer will be joining us and we're going to be discussing not only his new book Something that is a decade in the making. Oh, I thought it was longer than that. uh, uh, Yeah, actually, I think it it is, but uh, at least a decade in the making. Yes, we're going to be discussing his awesome book and some of the stuff he's done throughout his career. And then for our main discussion, we're going to be talking about... Elizabeth Bathory, who just happens to be my favorite historical character. Yes, we haven't covered a historical uh, character, historical figure in a while, so we figure it's about time. And Elizabeth Bathory is where it's at. So join us next week for that. And until then, we We will will see you next Thursday. Thursday.